2: Uh, I'm Hester, Susan, and welcome to Motherfucker, podcast at words. Irish. Irish words. And words from Ireland. I'm Tara Crochet.
3: I'm Clodagh
0: McGintley. And I'm Padraig O'Connick.
2: Today, one thing I wanted to talk about is a major work of Irish literature. It's something that people have been asked to do episode on before. It's something I haven't been meaning to do an episode before. And a part of me has felt like, oh, we'll do it another time. We'll do it a little later. But you know, you can't leave any later because you can't leave it any later than midnight.
3: Uh. Because.
0: <laughs> 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 yes, you won't go in here. Just clarify, we're not recording this at midnight. No. We... We're recording this at a sensible hour. Like like adult human beings.
3: No, We're, it is actually midnight. We're eating donuts at midnight on a Tuesday.
2: Ooh, <laughs> spooky, spooky midnight. <laughs>
0: the witching hour. Oh, this, this could be a Halloween
2: episode. No. No, it won't. Okay, no. no. <laughs> no. Okay, so Spooky Court on Raniha and by Brian Merriman. So, Clodagh, what is Court on Vaniha?
3: Court on is effectively a really... I think you could call it like a seminal a seminal piece of work I would say of Irish literature written by Brian Merriman in the late 1700s 1780 85 that kind of time mm-hmm. um it starts out in the form of an ashling the ashling verse the ashling poem whatever you want to call it and it also uses the court of love and it's basically a commentary a social commentary on the role of women in society at that time and how crap men are basically like the crux of court and Vanica, in my humble opinion is we stan evil, evil, whatever you want to call her, <laughs> and men are cancelled. Yeah, that so that,
0: that's to, to translate it in, into modern <laughs> terms. Yas, queen, and men Yass are Band- cancelled. Yas, Banrian, Yas, And men are cancelled.
3: Yeah, that is the crux. That, you don't even need to read it now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's done, it's done, it's done. Court uh, of the is, um, it's satyr. Uh mm-hmm. it's a satire on society and it as as Cloda points out, it uses the form of the Ashling or the Vision Poem. And the idea behind the um the vision poem is that uh, the poet is out walking late one evening, and he sees a vision of a beautiful woman uh, from the other world on Down, Ella, and she takes him by the hand. And usually, typically speaking, the woman is an embodiment of Ireland, and particularly in the late seventeen uh, hundreds. Uh, you know, you know, we we've spoken on the podcast before about how the idea of Ireland as a nation can be dated to poetry and literature itself to Catherine Cahan and the uh, the the end of the seventeenth century the beginning of the 18th century so this was well embedded at this stage so the ashling then would be the embodiment of ireland banaba or fola or era would take the poet by the hand and say oh i am i am trapped i am in chains i am in bondage because of the foreign invader and oh the youth of ireland and merriman turns it on its head and he sort of instead of looking out to the problems that assault ireland from without it's the problems that assault ireland from within namely that uh, we're getting married way too old and <laughs> young yeah. girls can't find a husband. And the poet dreams one night that he sees a vision, but not of a beautiful girl, of a horrific giantess who grabs him bodily and takes him to the court of Queen Evil, the mm-hmm. uh, the, the queen of the she in that part of the world, uh, down in, in Clare, where uh, Brian Merriman was from. And then there follows the standard Brehon uh, law uh, court three part debate uh, where the accuser, a young woman, accuses the men of Ireland of being uh, layabouts and vagabonds and terrible altogether and not getting their stuff together and getting married. Then the uh, the men of Ireland are given the opportunity to rebut and respond, and then the women of Ireland are allowed to finish it off. And then Queen Evil passes her judgment, and then. Uh, that's the end of the, 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 the court part of it and you know he wakes up and it was all it was all a terrible dream. Yes. But he's <laughs> learned a valuable lesson.
3: I there assume. is one line in the poem as well, which I feel could sum it up quite well, and it's Dimi im Gon Sucker Gon So And it's I got my gender but I get no sex that is effectively what is being argued in the poem. And then, at my time of life, it is depressing and cold, doing without luxuries, jewels and gold and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, so it's, and I mean, arguably as well, the old hag in the poem who grabs the poet and brings him into this fairy court or court of law court, Queen Evil's court. She is a spare van. Do you know what I mean? Like, she is. It's a parody of a spare van, But I mean, strictly speaking, a spare van is like a woman who comes from the sky. So yeah. mm-hmm. you can't say that she's not a spare van. Yeah, exactly. She, she,
0: she looked unreal. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. She's from another world. Exactly. It's just Merriman just says, you know, what, you, we're expecting it to be, you know, this beautiful figure, you know, with uh, hair as black as night and skin as white as snow and lips as red as blood and so on and so forth. And it's like, no, no, it's a crown. It's a hag. It's a giantess. I'm just going to grab the poet bodily and drag him to the other world. And and there he's going to listen to a young woman make her case. And so he, he sits there. Uh, he's not able to leave the court of love. Court uh, on Vionica, the Midnight Court, the name of the poem. And the young woman makes her case that the men of Ireland are, uh, they're being uh, remiss in their duties. Uh, they, um, they refuse to marry. She complains that despite increasingly desperate attempts to capture her to, to capture husband, she can. I mean, she's <laughs> tried everything. Intensive flirtation at hurling matches, which is <laughs> exactly how you get a man. Mm-hmm. Uh, she goes to wakes. Uh, you know,
2: well, we all know that they, they often said you know wakes was a great place to meet um, someone. You often find someone who's recently single at a wake. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's cracking. Oh. Hell yeah. Yeah. I, hear, he, I hear, you're single again. Is he cold yet? Yeah. <laughs> um, and then pattern days, pattern days being the fairs, the market days, and the likes, and you, you know, there were. There were not great opportunities to meet people in those days. Those are the events that you do. So you go to those and you, you flirt your hoop off in the hope that somebody will spot you and go, Oh, you're a you're a nice, uh, a nice looking young lady. Let's have a little chat and then maybe we could form an engagement. We'll price a dairy and we'll get married. But she says this doesn't happen. The young men insist on ignoring her, they're having too much fun, riding all in sundry. And then when it comes to actually getting married, Uh, they wait until they're much, much later on in life and they marry older women and they marry for wealth and they marry for comfort. Mm -hmm. So she also says the knock-on effect of this is, as a young woman, the way I'm treated by the older women in my village is appalling because they think I can't get a husband, I can't get no man. Mm -hmm. You're going
3: to be a spinster for the rest of your life, all that kind of jazz.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, And when you think about it, like, this... Was an issue in Irish society. I, I remember flicking through an old Guinness Book of Records when I, was, uh, when I was a kid, I would go and spend summers with my grandparents in Castlebar. They had this amazing collection of old Guinness Books of Records. And one of them had like the records of, of Ireland, like what are the records? Ireland is the best at this and the best at this. And at one stage in the 1980s, we were still the oldest average marrying age in the world. You know, men wouldn't get married until they were in their 30s and women on average were 29, which compared to other countries, developed, developing world, didn't matter. Uh, That was quite, quite high. So this is this is something and
2: this is something that's come up I guess a lot. I mean, it's a, it's a recurring theme in, in folk songs. The the Dubliners famously sang maids when you're young never wed an old man. Yeah. A great song <laughs> containing the line, you know, because he's got no fullurum fa diddle <laughs> He's got no fulorum fa diddle He's and got that- no fulorum, he's lost ding-durum. <laughs> Maids when you're a, young I Never an no. No, man
0: A lack of filorum or, or ding-dorum uh, Was one of the One of the many reasons This this young lady The vision of the young woman In the court Is, is the crying old man um, She she also Very very interesting When she's setting out Her style for the case She also says that uh, When Queen Evil thinks About passing judgement She should end Priestly celibacy mm-hmm. Yes Because priests would be Killer husbands Look at them Aren't they awful nice and they awful nice chaps, and wouldn't it be lovely to marry a priest? We used to be able to marry priests, and then um, the church said you have to stop that. And now uh, we, you know, wouldn't it be great if we could just marry an no old priest? And wouldn't it make so, the priesthood a very interesting prospect so for people so then? Mm-hmm.
2: Courteney is basically flee back in the eighteenth century,
0: more or less. Yeah, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah, <laughs> can we marry a priest so long as he looks like Andrew Scott? Hmm. Yeah, hot, hot Andrew Scott, <laughs> who has. Oodles of falurum and and a myriad of ding-dorum.
2: It's funny enough. Uh, Andrew Scott was the year ahead of me in school, ah. and also in the class was Jonathan Forbes, who plays Sharon Horgan's brother in Catastrophe. Oh God,
3: Catastrophe oh, no is way. the They are yeah, both Catastrophe's
2: like, class. It, it really is. And it's just, it's funny that like two boys in the same from the same class in school both went on to have so very successful television careers yeah. and and acting careers. And, and, and Andrew um, Andrew Scott gave me his history notes when he finished his leaving. And was he any use? Uh, I'll tell you this, his the doodles on the side of his copybooks were like were frameable. He was an amazing artist. Our art teacher actually said that if Andrew Scott didn't get an A1 in art, he'd resign.
0: Did Andrew Scott get an A1 in art? He did. Yay, well Yay. done, hot priest. <laughs> well done. <laughs> <laughs> well
2: done, Moriarty. <Maury> well, <laughs> and he's, he's best mates at Lin-Manuel Miranda now as well. Oh, yeah. no way. So, yeah, ah. so all is go, going well there. Getting back to the the, the, the old age of marrying, Michael Collins... Uh, famous uh, not the astronaut the the the, the 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 Civil War guy from Cork his, historical hunk that winner dude. my, my, my god his father was 65 when he got married to a woman in her 20s mm. and they had 12 kids I think wow so
0: he was I uh, obviously had <laughs> you'd saved up all his ding he saved yeah. up all his ding and um, and <laughs> <laughs> Just imagine his poor wife going. Like, when he said he was saving it all up for marriage, I thought he meant money.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh no! I'd I'd like to think there's a few twins or something in there, but who knows? But then, and Patrick Cavanaugh, when he was writing the, the Great Hunger and other works, the, the 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 big issue was that for young men in Ireland in the countryside, could not marry until they inherited a bit of land. Particularly when you had um and middle siblings younger siblings there was almost a thing in Ireland that the inheritance was a a burden as much as an actual as as, as much as a privilege Mm. and I think a lot of our a lot of our capital gains kind of laws Mm. reflect this idea that it's actually a terrible burden to inherit a bit of land with a bit of property. and But there, was, there were massive social problems to this.
0: Yeah, well, if you move um, move to the, the writings of John B. Keane, mm-hmm. uh, Letters of a Matchmaker, and indeed the wonderful play Sive, uh, he's written extensively about a phenomenon that still exists in Ireland, the bachelor farmer. Yeah. And that, like, you spend, I mean, you spend all your life working on the farm from dawn until dusk with very little room for social activities. That takes up all of your concerns. And by the time you realise, oh my God, I'm on my own, my parents have died, I own this land and I'm on my own, you're, you're gone to seed, you're 50, you're 60, you're uh, not healthy, you're not a catch anymore. The only thing that stands to you is the land. And as we moved on in society, as society became, basically our, our global society became smaller and Irish society became bigger and more intermingled, uh, young women all of a sudden weren't really that interested in you know I might marry for the land or just to stay in the parish or anything like I can go to the city I can work I can Mm -hmm. you know so young women were getting on with their lives and uh, generations of older Irish men were sort of left behind and we still to this day have bachelor farmers living in isolated areas Mm -hmm. Uh, we see them in the news more often associated with tragedy than anything else they've been burgled or they've been you know assaulted or robbed or they have you know in some very very tragic cases they've um, they've even taken their own lives. It's just, it, it is a tragedy, but it's something that goes back. It goes all the way back to um, Gaelic society as, as experienced by Merriman. And he does, he does have the bachelor farmer answer, an old farmer answers, a former bachelor. He is, he's married in this, but he, he starts talking about the counterpoint uh, to this, which is, you know, Asher, look, who wants the promiscuity of young women? You know, mm-hmm. young women are, you know, they're, 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 oh, you're flirting at a hurling match and you thought that would get you a husband. Jesus, you're, you're a wanton harlot. Nobody would want to be <laughs> marrying you. And then he starts talking about when he married his own wife, he married a young wife and he found her already pregnant on the wedding night and all the gossip that has surrounded the, the uh, quote unquote premature birth of <laughs> his son. <laughs> uh, so he, 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 he attacks the lifestyles of, of, of young women. Now. He's pretty okay on the whole thing about the illegitimate children because his main point is not, you know... um his main point is not, you know, we should, we should marry older. His main point is we should get rid of marriage. Yeah. Marriage is out of date, you know, It's like wake up at 1780, like, you know, marriage <laughs> is so <laughs> 1745, yes. you know, we should completely and totally uh, replace it. We should outlaw marriage and replace it with a system of free love. Like, you know, 1967, eat your heart out. We were, he was, <laughs> he was smoking that shit in fecal in County Clare in 1780. Yeah,
3: mm-hmm. exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I mean yeah. I mean the answer he does give as well is that it is the greatest peril to the single and saying to be tied to the deaths with the ball and chain, which is, you know, he's not that keen on the whole commitment thing either mm-hmm. in fairness now. Um but yeah, no, that is a good point definitely, that he's saying, you know, sure, what's the point of marriage and is there any real purpose to it and everything else? And I mean that's a valid point in this day and age too, you know, I guess. I say
0: at the age of 24. We weren't going to point out the elephant in the room. There's two old married (laughs) men. (laughs) (laughs) What age were you when you married?
2: I was, I think it was 35, 36. Yeah, I was 33. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good ages. Good ages. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I think at 36, I got married. It was the uh, same same year that George Clooney and Brad Pitt got married. Oh. So, I didn't
0: even know they married each
2: other just
3: for yeah I was That's just cool. going to say for a split second I was like excuse
0: me Imal Clooney's going to freak when she <laughs> hears about
3: <laughs> this no well
2: so we've uh, we've outlasted we've outlasted Brad and mm. uh, Brangelina Brangelina so mm. the, at least that, is, is that we've made that far
0: you will never outlast the Clooneys because George knows that he is punching well above his weight he has married above his station and is grateful to be married to the wonderful Imal and uh yeah, that's that's mm-hmm. uh, that's the tea right there. Like you're not going to you're not going to beat the
2: Chaneunte. Chaneunte. T- <laughs> <Chanae and> t- <laughs> <laughs> um mm-hmm.
0: yeah, so the 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 on of this one then it, it comes the 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 young woman is um not happy with the response and her rebuttal. Her rebuttal basically um it, it, she just stopped short of physically destroying the older man uh, and attacking him. She mocks his inability to perform. Uh, mm. He has no philurum or watch, watch, What? Do we have a term there that they use for us? No.
3: Do we have a term for philurum or <laughs>
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> Let me have a look. Well, now, there's a bit here. Those of the men who are old and sick, who shamelessly failed to use their prick... <laughs> and and waste the best years of their youth without giving pleasure however minute and then, yeah. So there is an Irish for that. It's an the harla bhocht imlinta is chailis cathar Antarna thar amu gan suvach suvach isteannia buile is lu na lu anega. And then it goes on and on. There are many, many paragraphs about Dungdurum and Florum, and <laughs> that is another, that's, yeah, that could go in with the crux of the poem as well as Men Are Cancelled, We Stand Able and Dungdurum Florim. <laughs> <laughs>
2: that,
3: <is it. laughs> <laughs> that is question, Vanika.
0: Yeah, so um, it's... It, it's a funny one. The, the 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 rebuttal from the young lady, like she 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 mocks the old man says he's unable to keep his wife happy. if she has taken a lover. And his cook Aldingham in the village, there's no surprise there because he's uh, he's not able to use his 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 tarnya his nail <laughs> uh, to great effect. Uh, or what's it um, about his gaga, his his, his limbs? It's like the, the 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 life in his limbs is lacking. And yeah. when they say mm-hmm. limbs, it's it's you know it's one of the appendages that she's referring to in particular. Um, but she says, in the meantime, I'm still going to try and marry an older man because the most important thing right now is I got to get married because these bitches back in the village, they are just, they are relentless. I mm-hmm. need to get married. I can't be a spinster. So um, then, then comes the judgment and the judgment is the, uh, is the, the. As the Queen a- Queen, Avel. Queen Avel.
3: Yeah. And I mean she does. She orders that priest can marry and should marry and also mm-hmm. says that the the poet here who's being attacked we're not he's not being attacked, he's being called out. Um is gonna be one of the first people to face the music and he's gonna be one of the first to have to get married and he gets pulled away by the women in the court and the hag and blah blah blah. And then of course as soon as he gets pulled away, that's when he wakes up, which is what happens in a dream anyway. Like yeah. when you die you wake up or wake like when you
0: all a dream.
3: It's all a dream. That yeah. Lovely primary school ending. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I woke up and it was all a dream. Yeah. Yeah. Queen Aval says that all laymen must marry before the age of 21 on pain of corporal punishment at the hands of women. But she's very careful to say that when the women are corporally punishing the men, no hits below the belt because mm-hmm. we need to preserve the phallurum and the dingorum. <laughs> and the Gaga and the Tarnia and no damage to, to that area mm-hmm. uh, because she should not leave any man unable to father children. Um, she does say the priests uh, should marry. And uh, She says it's an inevitability. It will happen. It's a little bit the, beyond the remit of this court right now, but patience and this will happen because it's it's the right thing. I mean, okay, so 230, 240 years later, we're still waiting, but, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, it'll happen, they say. And then after she passes judgment and says this is what happened as, as Clodagh says the, the, the Owen points out and says well that man has to be the first to suffer so just as he's about to get the shit kicked out of him by the fairy court and all the women of Ireland he, he wakes up and to find it was a terrible terrible legacy
2: hmm. I see and like a lot of the, these changed men he pretends he was always woke
3: oh yeah <laughs>
0: I'm not sure if he does. Yeah, though. I think that's one of the, the the charming things of it. Like you know, it is. It's um. It's a very frank treatment of sexuality at the time. It, it's a biting social commentary, and, and it's a it's a kind of a parody of the Battle of the Sexes. Yeah, which is normally each side extols its virtues. Uh, in this one, they're not like they're extolling their vices as well as their were. Nobody's in this poem saying. Oh, Manana Heron, Toshi the Rouse, you know, Plurinamon, the women of Ireland are fantastic. I'm the flower of womanhood because she's coming in and saying, listen, women are giving shit to me in the village because I can't get married. So I need to get married. Right? We need to get that sorted. That guy's impotent. He's useless. And he goes up there and he says, well, I married a woman who was already pregnant. This is like, nobody comes out of this smelling of roses. Yeah. And I think one of the key things is that the, the poet doesn't. He doesn't sort of finish by saying, and of course, I was totes woke all the time and I knew all this. He sort of goes, that was a horrific nightmare. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Jesus, imagine if women got their way. That would be, that would be terrible in this instance being got their way. Like, imagine if I had to be married nine years ago. That mm-hmm. would be that would be shocking. That would be awful. I'm so glad I'm not married. <laughs> so he kind of just he just hangs a hangs a lampshade on it, like mm-hmm. you know. But I there that that sort of uh, I knew that I was I felt this way all along. The sort of author surrogate being so brilliant and all that was very common in poems at the time in Ashlingy at the time the Ashling. Would we'll come to the to to the poet's surrogate, and and the poet's surrogate would be the the manhood of Ireland. He would be the, the the brave young man, the brave warrior, the 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 gorgeous starling boy, the Gillamar. Yeah. Uh, in this, like he's like, no, he's a philanderer, an alcoholic, mm-hmm. a bad poet, a maths teacher <laughs> <laughs> And he's like, uh, no, I'm not married either
1: <laughs> This episode is sponsored by Forrest Nagueelgat, who are celebrating twenty years of promoting the Irish language fibly and Fos. Here's just one of the projects they do. First Na supports the Irish Language Dictionaries and on Boonachar Nasiunthet Thormeogtet Na Gaeilge, the National Terminology Database. On the folklore.ie website, you'll find a modern English-Irish dictionary that's easy to search and easy to use, with example sentences and pronunciation assistance. The offline app helps you keep a record of your favourite words. cheonglan.ie, that's T-E-A-N, G-L-A-N-N combines the three major legacy Irish dictionaries in a searchable and user-friendly interface. Audio pronunciations in the three major kanunthi. Thousands of grammar files are included on both websites to help you through the Thisholguinadoc and the look. Wondering what the Irish for selfie is? Download the Folklore Dálai app for free now to find out. Forrest Naguelga celebrating 20 years. <laughs> Isar Changa Faini. It's our language.
2: You think about the other kind of the big, uh, big Ashling poems that we know, and I'm thinking of um, Kyod, Kyodriyk, the, the magic fog, the magic mist. And then, yeah, and, and typically the it would usually end by the, the spare van, the the vision and the dream, uh, suggesting wouldn't it be great if we were invaded by the, the Scott, the Stuart clan, uh, or if we, we had a different king, or if this war happened? And whereas this. That takes a different takes a different stick in that, which is basically, I think it's all about fixing our own problems.
3: It is. It does. As Potter said before, it takes mm-hmm. a kind of an inward glance at Ireland. Um, and like I know, the old hag is kind of meant to be a satirical spare band, But as we were saying earlier, she is a spare man, and she is this kind of unreal person. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it is an ashling. I think people say it is. It it is satire. But then you've also got to remember that you know, it does follow the form and, mm. you know, what is an ashling. It just kind of turns it on its head, you know, so it does take a very different, a very so, different route.
2: So Merriman is kind of sending up the ashling as well as sending up society.
3: Yeah, yeah. It, it,
0: in a sense, yeah. I mean, he's more, you got to bear in mind that Gaelic poetry at the time, like Filiach na Gaelge at the time, was very strictly metered. It was very, um in particular, At a time that would have been living memory for Merriman, like his his parents and his grandparents would have remembered a time when, as the saying goes, an Irish poet had to be both born and made. You could only be a poet if you came from one of the noble poetic families and you had to go and spend seven years in an old school, um, which we now use as a term for university. But at the time it was a a school uh, for bards and bardic poetry and you had to learn from an olive. Uh, which we now use as the Irish for professor, but at the time Mm -hmm. would have been the head of that school. So it still would have been a living memory, definitely in folk memory, that poetry is strictly regimented. It has to be this, it has to be that. So in essence, Merriman is sending up Irish society, yes, but he's using the established forms and kind of just making a pastiche of... The Ashling of even the rhyming meter and everything—it's it's set in this ancient rhyming meter. There were only a certain amount of meters that you had to write in. There was no such thing as free verse. You weren't allowed to just experiment with poetry. Everything had to be metered, and because otherwise, you got to bear in mind this is a society that didn't tend to write things down. Yeah, uh, particularly not poetry. They kept a written record of certain things, but I mean, pre seventeenth century, not really. Um, so, f- in order for it to be memorable, it had to have a beat. So you think about Shakespearean iambic pentameter, like that's, that's just a little thing that's thrown in it to help the mm. actors remember what the lines above there, you know, and this above all to thine own self be true to give it a beat. Mm. Uh, and, you know, uh, there was a meter in Irish poetry that were very, very strictly regimented meters. So Merriman is sending all of that up. He's just taking it all, mishmashing it up and turning it on its head. And the beauty of this is, of course, that he never wrote it down either. Mm. It survived like the first time it was recorded was, um, I think, 70 years after he wrote it in the in the mid 1800s. It, w- it was written down and um, first English translations didn't arrive until 70 odd years after that. in the, in the early uh, the early years of the Free State. So, you know, we had um, it survived because of the Gaelic poetic traditions uh, mm. that it was lampooning. And we mentioned
2: the Free State there. And famous the Midnight Court. It, it was, uh, one of the things that comes up every now and then is how when we talk about censorship in Ireland is how there, there was a version of the Midnight Court, Osperla, which is which was controlled by censors, had a restriction on it. Whereas while well, the Irish was available. But, but you says this, this isn't the whole story.
0: No, I mean there there had been some notable English translations by um by Ireland Usher by um, the Earl of Longford um, and then much, much later on Kieran Carson, Thomas Kinsella, Seamus Heaney and even even Brendan Bean reportedly uh, wrote a translation. But Frank O'Connor wrote the seminal one. This was the most popular English translation of it uh, because it stuck as true to the Irish one as possible. I think it's the O'Connor one that you're quoting because it was kind of a there was a little bit of obscenity uh, mm. in it. And because of that in 1946 it was banned by our incredibly strict censorship board. But Like many things that the censorship board banned, uh, they only banned the English version of it. So they banned the Frank O'Connor translation because it refused to bowdlerize the Irish version. It translated it in the spirit it was intended to and it used so-called rude words. Uh, And because of that, it, it got the heave up. But I mean, like in 1946, the best thing you could do was ban a book. That mm-hmm. was the way to stimulate sales because there was no realistic way of policing it. Mm-hmm. You know, there were there were people who would go around and check the bookshops to see if they had it there. But like, put it behind the counter. You know, people were walking into bookshops going, have you, uh, have you got, any, uh, <laughs> got any old uh, Frank O'Connor's translation of Cordon Vianney, huh?
3: And They'd
0: be going like, are you a cop? Because if you are, you have to tell me. <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's like, yeah, it's it's, it's funny because sometimes though one of the things they also did was that sometimes they were aware that that there was a certain notoriety attached to banning books. So they often would say as they'd restrict it, they say you have to remove these paragraphs. And this happened, there was a verse from one of uh, Patrick Cavanagh's poems was was restricted because it contained a description of masturbation. (laughs) Um, And... And he was so annoyed with this that he snuck into a shop and he scribbled in the, the verse into a couple <laughs> of copies of several of them. And then he was, he, I, I think it was Hodges Vegas, but I'm not sure But he was, um, he was invited to leave the shop. But I, <laughs> but I believe those scribbled upon verse versions would be worth a bit more money now.
3: I was going to say, yeah, yeah, they're practically yeah. autographed.
2: Practically autographed.
3: Yeah,
2: you <laughs> wrote it with a pen, right? He did. I mean, <laughs> yeah.
3: As soon as I said that, I was like, "Oh no.
2: god, you, you never, you never know what that fella. But
0: Patrick Kavanagh <laughs> was, was unreal. Like Patrick Kavanagh was unreal. He had an absolute temper. Uh, in October 1938, very he, specific. Yeah, <laughs> uh, in October 1938, he uh, <laughs> he basically he went to five different booksellers <laughs> and threatened them. Mm-hmm. With the object of, and I quote, compelling them to stock his new novel. <laughs> he just published his new book and he visited bookshops and he asked if, um, <laughs> he asked whether or not the bookshop stocked it. And the book- bookseller said, Yeah, I have one here in the back. So Kevin said, Why isn't it in the window? I'll wreck the joint. I'll wreck the joint. Do you know who I am? <laughs>
2: And this is the thing when when we we generally picture Paddy Cavanagh as the as the older man, the, the kind of statue by the by the canal. But when he arrived in Dublin, like he was he was a young guy, kind of a like farm boy muscles. Yeah, and he, he's yeah. A, Like a he was a big big fella and he was like he actually walked to Dublin from Monaghan because he could, couldn't afford a train. He, he was absolutely determined to get published. Yeah. When he was
0: published, uh, when The Green Fool was published, he was 34. And I'm just realising my life choices now. I'm 35 and I haven't threatened a single bookseller in Dublin.
1: (laughs) Have you, When he was
0: 34, he threatened five.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I got published just before my 40th birthday.
3: So you haven't had time yet to bang on windows and... (laughs)
0: He has. I had to to (laughs) drag him out of Hodges Fingers bodily, like, (laughs) you know what I mean? No, I I was, uh, I think...
3: Where's crack, baby?
0: (laughs) I'll kill all of you.
2: It was put next to Rory's stories in one shop.
0: I directed the cover. Was it an so Irish humour?
2: <laughs> I, 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 I I do think now with with the perspective of kind of a year or so onwards, I do think that like the name Crack Baby may have may not have very represented the actual tone of that book, and maybe I think that's I think the book because I was writing about um, about Irish and about what, what I wanted Irish to be for my for my daughter. She's going to be going up. And all, all the other issues that came up about accessibility, I think possibly the, I uh, probably a, a different name may have c- c- maybe expressed the tone better.
0: Nah, nah. Nah, Daryl Braith called one of his autobiographies "Crack Dealer," hmm. and one of his shows was "Crack Dealer." Oh yeah, so not, I mean,
2: I, I yeah the crack dealer I, and I suppose that's a kind of a comedy show I'm not, I don't like it's I mean a, it's a funny yeah.
0: book is it not meant to be funny? <laughs> it is. I laughed a lot like. Oh really? <laughs> I'm glad. Just after I moved the Rory stories book into the fiction section. Yes. Oh gosh.
2: <laughs> but I mean the thing about Rory stories you know he gets a lot of criticism from the kind of from the blue noses of left left leaning twitter but you know it is terrible, you know, when you want to go out drinking with the lads and your wife won't let you. God, you
0: hate your wife so much. <laughs> you just hate her so much. And that's the joke. That's that's the start of the joke. And that's the middle of the joke. And that's the end of the joke. I just hate her so much. And it's unbelievable that from Breen Merriman and Cortan Vion Iha, the humour hasn't changed <laughs> <laughs> that much. We are still, still getting a laugh of aren't women awful and they don't let you go do be drinking and things
2: would well, Banri and Ava have a few words to say about Rory's stories
3: she'd want to get oh a move god, on oh my god yeah can she come back please <laughs>
2: before we wrap up <laughs> uh, so Kurt and Vanny uh, uh, Paddy you said you, you mentioned to me before that you, you were involved in a dramatic re uh, <laughs>
0: yeah, were you? I was yeah but um but like it's it's mad long <laughs> <laughs> it
1: is so really I, long.
0: I, I, I played the poet uh, in a dramatic interpretation of Coren Vioníja uh, many, many years ago, and like there was no way we were going to be learning all the lines, <laughs> uh, so basically, what we did was um, somebody else read all the lines and I just did two hours of mime wow. in the middle of the stage. <laughs> um, our Banri and Evil had learned her lines and the young woman had learned her lines and the older man had learned his lines. Is just, I I, t- I took over the role about like eight days before we went to stage and looked at this and went, no fucking way! I'm learning <laughs> that. So we got the guy who I was replacing had learned the lines months, months in advance, but he'd hurt his leg, so he wasn't able to do the show. So he read it into a microphone off stage, and it gave us this ethereal, otherworldly kind of the overall narration came from beyond. So completely accidentally, it was very cool.
3: Yeah, that's like in keeping with the whole barebone yeah. thing.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and mm. and the best bit about it was. I was free to just absolutely ham it off. it was just <laughs> my, oh, ooh, oh, it was all a dream.
3: Oh, God, I can't. I, we need to do that again. Bringlord. you
0: Bringlord.
2: This is the thing, just before we do wrap up, so Ashling doesn't actually mean a dream, it means a vision in a dream.
3: Yeah. 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 yeah.
2: And a Bringlord is a dream. Yeah. Yeah. And a bad dream is a. Is a <laughs>
0: Trumley. Trumley. Trumley, which means to lie heavily. Yeah. Mm.
2: Not a. um, Not a Kapalitha. <laughs> oh god just wanted to clarify for those learners at home who are just who are just do, doing Gale Tober rocking oh. hard
0: massive mm-hmm.
2: oh more so until the next time uh, beware beware what you dream yes beware <laughs>
3: <laughs> we take no responsibility for nightmares Freddy
0: Krueger yep. mind is are philorums and is our ding out there okay until next time it's a
2: say from me
3: a salon from me.
2: And it's a slon whimsia. You? Mind your sauce.
0: Motherfucklore comes out every Friday on the Headstuff Podcast Network. Get it wherever you get your podcasts. You can send comments, queries, suggestions, feedback, or questions to motherfolklore at headstuff.org. Thanks a million to Brian for producing and to Kirsten as always for the amazing artwork.
3: If you'd like to see mother Folklore live in action, you can join us at the Dublin Podcast Festival on the 17th of October. All details on Twitter and all that jazz. You'll find us somehow. Thanks so much for listening. And follow me on Instagram. Instagram.com slash Clodafoto. C-L-O-D-A-F-O-T-O. Derek said that I could do this. Please keep this in.
1: This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network.
2: The opinions of Claude McKinley are not the <laughs> opinions of Headstuff. It's shareholders, Excuse its sponsors, or a job chef.
3: <laughs> <laughs>